Section 15 of The Spirit of American Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Craster. The Spirit of American Literature by John Albert Macy. Section 15. Whitman. Part 2. In a great tragedy, Greek or Shakespearean, death is the solace and necessary end for sinful and unhappy lives and the close leaves the soul of the spectator in peace because bad unhappy people are better dead but life has a greater tragedy than that the death of the young and the beautiful and the innocent it is not a fitful fever upon which the blessed curtain falls but the end is inexplicable and unfitting and for that classic and romantic tragedy has no peaceful word to say but whitman sees in death one of the consolations of life not because it stops the tragedy of evil tortured lives but because impartial death does not consider whether the life has been evil or good happy or wretched it is part of the joy of a tragedy that is never done and which needs no last act to give it reason for the last act is the first and the first the last and both are everlasting come lovely and soothing death undulate round the world serenely arriving arriving in the day in the night to all to each sooner or later delicate death praise be the fathomless universe for life and joy and for objects and knowledge curious and for love sweet love but praise 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 for the sure and winding arms of cool and folding death dark mother always gliding near with soft feet have none chanted for thee a chant of the fullest welcome then i chant it for thee i glorify thee above all i bring thee a song that when thou must indeed come come unfalteringly approach strong deliveress when it is so when thou hast taken them i joyously sing the dead lost in the loving floating ocean of thee loved in the flood of thy bliss o death from me to thee glad serenades dances for thee i propose saluting thee adornments and feastlings for thee and the sights of the open landscape and the high-spread sky are fitting and life and the fields and the huge and thoughtful night the night in silence under many a star the ocean shore and the husky whispering wave whose voice i know and the soul turning to thee o vast and well-veiled death and the body gratefully nestling close to thee over the tree-tops i float thee a song over the rising and sinking waves, over the myriad fields and the prairies wide, over the dense packed cities all and the teeming wharves and ways, I float this carol with joy, with joy to thee, O death. It is the purpose of philosophy and religion to be the ultimate reconcilers of all the facts of man's life and death. The theologies with their promise of individual beatitude, now perceptibly falling in the beliefs of men, do not so effectually rob death of its sting as does Whitman the devout pagan he is the bravest of all poets of death the philosophies now wavering between a half-hearted rationalism and an idealism which is not philosophic at all but is an admixture in philosophy of unreasoned faiths have not advanced one single argument so satisfying as whitman's confident harmonies the philosopher erecting a reasonable view of life is distinguished for his ability to leave life altogether out of his scheme or to sew life up in a system as if it were a mummy whereupon life takes a long breath and splits the seams whitman's amplitude is elastic it bears any strain of fact 
yet it is positive re-nerving and does not like the vast inconclusion of most philosophy leave you exactly where you began whitman's religion fuses the rigidity of creeds and is too great for creed-bound men oh we can wait no longer we too take ship o soul joyous we too launch out on trackless seas fearless for unknown shores on waves of ecstasy to sail amid the wafting winds thou pressing me to thee i thee to me o soul caroling free singing our song of god chanting our chant of pleasant exploration with laugh and many a kiss let others deprecate let others weep for sin remorse humiliation o soul thou pleasest me i thee ah more than any priest o soul we to believe in god but with the mystery of god we do not dare dally lover divine and perfect comrade waiting content invisible yet but certain be thou my god thou thou the ideal men fair able beautiful content and loving complete in body and dilate in spirit be thou my god o death for life has served its turn opener and usher to the heavenly mansion be thou my god aught aught of mightiest best i see conceive or know to break the stagnant tie thee thee to free o soul be thou my god all great ideas the race's aspirations all heroisms deeds of rapt enthusiasts be ye my gods or time and space or shape of earth divine and wondrous or some fair shape i viewing worship or lustrous orb of sun or star by night be ye my gods this is a religion which jews might kiss and infidels adore whitman's own use of the word infidel means one who is unfaithful to life he reshapes traditional ethics and ignores all the vicious virtues such as tact decorum good taste humility remorse and other dishonesties and degradations of the soul life is great and will not be judged by little standards poetry is the expression of life grows with it and builds its own laws as it grows whitman himself made much of the fact that he departed from the tradition of regular meters and as genius is frequently mistaken about itself he thought that his departure was essential of his originality and not the capital expression his true originality lies in the use he made of the meters he chose and not at all in the fact or the degree of their technical difference from other poetry he created a new kind of poetry in so far forth as he created new poetry and his creation is so powerful that whatever measure his words conform to at their best has become thereby established as a mode of poetry a classic is one who makes new forms or within old forms does things before undone that the elizabethan translation of the hebrew poetry of the bible takes a shape which is at once poetic and prosaic the translator seeking only a conscientious true prose version but various devices of hebrew poetry such as antithesis and refrain inevitably showing through this does not explain whitman's form or even suggest its source equally beside the point is the well-known fact that all great emotional prose gathers itself together tensely drops much of the grammatical superfluity of prose rises to a kind of lyrical passion and its prosaic other harmony is felt like a subcurrent of movement under the higher truly poetic pulsations whitman is the first great poet who from feeling or as he would have it from conviction and on principle wrote unrhymed and unequal measures when he began to make poetry he was a desultory reader and it is safe to say that he never heard of some of the sources that critics like to dig out in order to account for him 
the difference between vers libre and more regular metrical schemes bears some analogy to the difference between music in which free melodic themes are developed to express changing and progressive moods and music on set patterns in which one stave springs from the preceding is governed and limited by it but analogies between the different arts should not be pressed too far poetry carries but a single thread of discourse the words proceed in single file whereas music may be and in its great forms is a fabric of themes fifty voices in the orchestra may be speaking at once there is however a sound human analogy between the ways in which whitman and wagner were received by some readers and listeners said some whitman is not true to any known meter of preceding poets therefore he is no poet similarly argued their music-loving brethren in about the same glorious year of the world wagner does not obey the laws of music as the masters have practised them and the teachers have codified them therefore he is no musician the man whose education has partly paralyzed his intelligence and spoiled his eyes and ears must hold a textbook up between himself and every work of art and so he is always puzzled by the arrival of a new genius and since he is not necessarily an ignoramus but may be deeply familiar with the art of preceding times he can make out an apparently good case against the innovator the defender of a new master may cry out in the heat of partisanship dolt dance if you do not understand wagner's beauty you never truly understood bach or the simplest traditional melody if you do not know at once that whitman is a great poet you never truly heard read enjoyed milton and shakespeare yet in point of fact some of wagner's opponents were genuine musicians and some of those whom whitman offended were true poets for example lanier musicians and poets and painters are sometimes most narrowly inhospitable to their brothers the delight they feel a lifelong joy in certain works of art is violated by innovations they are offended as if intensely loving one woman they were asked to love another woman caring deeply for art they suffer more acutely than the casual taster of art can appreciate byron did not like keats fitzgerald was blind to mrs browning emerson was deaf to poe whittier threw whitman in the fire lowell longfellow and holmes agreed that whitman was of no account swinburne first devoured whitman then disgorged him with an obscenity of expression more disgusting than anything of which walt whitman's shirt-sleeve style is capable so the poets who as poe said are certainly the best critics of poetry sometimes bring the weight of their authority against each other the ordinary reader can never have the aching joy and the painful aversions which are the poet's special privileges but because he is ordinary he can gain in latitude what he lacks in depth he can carry poe in one coat pocket and whitman in the other he can share his affections between keats and byron yet he can let aurora lay and the rubaiyat stand together on a shelf of favorites since a man has not time to read much criticism he should read the prose of the poets when they are celebrating each other not when they are pushing each other off parnassus the warfare over wagner ibsen whitman need not distress us tannhauser hedda gabler and leaves of grass have survived the rough reception they encountered in some quarters and are healed of the blows that some very strong brother giants of their authors administer to them all we have to do is listen to whitman with a naked ear the better if it has been refined by other poetry in sea drift the bird which has lost its mate sings and whitman translates the notes following you my brother soothe 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 close on its wave soothes the wave behind and again another behind 
embracing and lapping every one close but my love soothes me not not me low hangs the moon it rose late it is lagging oh i think it is heavy with love with love oh madly the sea pushes upon the land with love with love o night do i not see my love fluttering out among the breakers what is that little black thing i see there in the white loud 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 i call to you my love high and clear i shoot my voice over the waves surely you must know who is here is here you must know who i am my love low hanging moon what is that dusky spot in your brown yellow oh it is the shape the shape of my mate o moon do not keep me from her any longer land land o land whichever way i turn oh i think you could give me my mate back again if you only would for i am sure i see her dimly whichever way i look o rising stars perhaps the one i want so much will rise will rise with some of you o throat o trembling throat sound clearer through the atmosphere pierce the woods of the earth somewhere listening to catch you must be the one i want shake out carols solitary here the night's carols carols of lonesome love death's carols carols under that lagging yellow waning moon oh under that moon where she droops almost down into the sea oh reckless despairing carols but soft sink low soft let me just murmur and do you wait a moment you husky noised sea for somewhere i believe i heard my mate responding to me so faint i must be still be still to listen but not altogether still for then she might not come immediately to me hither my love here i am here with this just sustained note i announce myself to you this gentle call is for you my love for you do not be decoyed elsewhere that is the whistle of the wind it is not my voice that is the fluttering the fluttering of the spray those are the shadows of leaves o darkness o in vain o i am very sick and sorrowful o brown halo in the sky near the moon dropping upon the sea o troubled reflection in the sea o throat o throbbing heart and i sing uselessly uselessly all the night o past o happy life o songs of joy in the air in the woods o'er fields loved 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 but my mate no more no more with me we two together no more if the ineffable loveliness of that is not evident at once no critical argument will avail for poetry wins its way directly or not at all however one who has studied the technique of poetry may be permitted to point out that whitman's aria is as absolutely metrical in its way as shelley's skylark and kate's nightingale are in theirs that it lacks no essential of great lyric poetry which the ear can hear of or the mind can designate if any reader is dead to its unsurpassable beauty no excuse is possible or necessary but there is no need for excuse or rebuke for those who are supposed to know something about poetry and who yet say as more than one critic has said that whitman wrote prose because he could not write poetry and that he is at his best in captain my captain where he achieves a real poetic form as if a master of words like whitman could have any trouble writing rhymes in perfect iambics if he chose to write them wagner forsooth cannot resolve a chord or write a lutheran hymn that whitman can manage traditional forms when it pleases him to try is shown not only in captain my captain but in less known and very touching poems ethiopia saluting the colours 
who are you dusky woman so ancient hardly human with your woolly white and turbaned head and bare bony feet while rising by the roadside here do you the colours greet tis while our army lines carolina sends and pines forth from thy loved door thou ethiopia comes to me as under doughty sherman i march towards the sea me master years a hundred years since from my parents sundered a little child they caught me as the savage beast is caught then hither me across the sea the cruel slaver brought no further does she say but lingering all the day her high-born turbaned head she wags and rolls her darkling eye and courtesies to the regiments the giddens moving by what is it fateful woman so blear hardly human why wag your head with turban bound yellow red and green are the things so strange and marvellous you see or have seen moreover captain my captain wonderful as it is is less magnificent worse than when lilacs last in the dooryard bloom with its progression and cross-weaving of themes and ethiopia saluting the colours perfect itself is inferior to the majestic symbolism of the song of the banner at daybreak when whitman fails and like other great poets he sometimes fails to be his best his failure is due not to his form but to his failure to make poetry in it precisely as wordsworth and shakespeare fail in line after line of strictly methodical blank verse whitman's rhythms flow with his thought and emotion they are part of his thought the intermerging of sound and idea is the miracle that happens in all true poetry it is a fatuous mistake to say that he writes imperfect hexameters many of his lines are dactylic in rhythm other lines are iambic those two measures reside in the accents of english words the following line is a specimen of his dactylic movement when million-footed manhattan unpent descends to her pavements but this movement seldom continues for more than two or three lines at a time there is a specimen of iambic pursuit for several lines in other scenes than these have i observed the flag not quite so trim and whole and freshly blooming in folds of stainless silk but i have seen thee bunting to tatters torn upon thy splintered staff or clutch to some young colour-bearer's breast with desperate hands savagely struggle for for life or death fought over long mid cannons thunder crash and many a curse and groan and yell and rifle volleys cracking sharp and moving masses as wild demons surging and lives as nothing risked for thy mere remnant grind with dirt and smoke and socked in blood for sake of that my beauty and that thou mightst daily is now secure there many a good man have i seen go under whitman's thought often runs to antithesis and contrast and his lines conform to the meaning in a rising and falling movement a slow pulsing systole and diastole like the resurgent and receding seas there is a fitness accidental or calculated more likely inseparable from the sound of the right words for the sense a special fitness of whitman's measures to the sea the voice of the breakers in his chants the uprushing waves and their foaming subsidence as though whitman were an elemental power resonantly answering to his equal in nature you see i resign myself to you also i guess what you mean i behold from the beach your crooked inviting fingers i behold from the beach your crooked inviting fingers i believe you refuse to go back without feeling of me we must have a turn together i undress hurry me out of sight of the land cushion me soft rock me in billowy drowse dash me with amorous wet i can repay you sea of stretched ground swells sea breathing loud and convulsive breaths 
see of the brine of life and of unshoveled but, but always ready graves howler and scooper of storms capricious and dainty sea i am integral with you i too am of one phase and of all phases here and in the whole of sea drift has been fulfilled his aspiration had i the choice to tally greatest bards to limn their portraits stately beautiful and emulate at will homer with all his wars and warriors hector achilles ajax or shakespeare's woe entangled hamlet lear othello tennyson's fair ladies meter or wit the best or choice conceit to wield in perfect rhyme delight of singers these these o oh sea all these i'll gladly barter would you the undulation of one wave its trick to me transfer or breathe one breath of yours upon my verse and leave its odour there his verse like the sea is like the winds also and like life its eager forward propulsions are as his own vision of joy it has that energy with baudelaire called the supreme grace only because laggard criticism sometimes denies his magnificent art it is necessary to insist on his form and be curious of metrical questions one must stand back to see to comprehend him as a portrait viewed close disintegrates into ridges and smears of paint as rodin's sculpture is not for the microscope so whitman's lines can be analyzed pulverized to lifelessness they should be chanted aloud in a large free way no reader of whitman can neglect his prose for like all great poets he writes excellent prose he is an admirable direct judge of men and events of other poets intensely serious almost humorless in his poetry he is in his prose a genial off-hand speaker full of fun at once burly and gentle and he is often poetically eloquent in his prose throwing off a great phrase suggesting as if casually a splendid idea the unused surplus of poetic material which lies inexhaustible in the minds of very great poets democratic vistas and specimen days are collections of observations and jottings great books as johnson's timber is a great book almost every paragraph is pregnant from his dreadfully real and beautifully patient accounts of the real war that will never get in the books to his dreamy detached musings on the sea and the stars it would be profitable for those interested in whitman but still perplexed by questions of form irrelevancies with which earnest readers of literature are needlessly filled up to the clotting and clogging of their native senses to compare whitman's own prose with his poetry and thus understand their essential differences the prose is often fine oracular full of terse metaphors and long free undulations but its accent is the accent of words spoken not sung the spread of waves and grey-white beach salt monotonous senseless such an entire absence of art books talk elegance so indescribably comforting even this winter day grim yet so delicate looking so spiritual striking emotional impalpable depths subtler than all the poems paintings music i have ever read seen heard yet let me be fair perhaps it is because i have read those poems and heard that music there is text for a whole essay about whitman in that one passage whitman was a great talker and his friends have remembered many of his words and recorded them mr horace traubel his devoted friend and biographer took down his conversations boswell fashion and in printing volume after volume of them there is a difference between mr traubel's work and boswell's a difference in mr traubel's favour whitman is a much greater more original man than dr johnson moreover boswell selected and made a work of balanced art out of the materials of his hero's life when johnson said stupid things and boswell had sense enough to know they were stupid he discreetly omitted them 
Mr. Traubel goes at his task in a manner appropriate to Whitman and to the new ideal of realism in biography. He sets down everything that he can remember. If you do not wish to read it, that is your affair. But it is all set down, and if you do not read it, you miss the richest intellect in America. Whitman's character requires no suppressions. He bears every test of a method of publicity which is neither hero-worshipful nor pitiless, but simply matter-of-fact and indiscriminate as nature. Capable like all great souls of deep reticence, in spite of his garrulous candor, Whitman moved at ease among books and men, and spoke his ample mind, challenging men and things less and loving them more as he grew to full stature, and became the nurse of men and the celebrant of Lincoln, laureate and national chief of equal height. Then, stricken with paralysis as a result of his labors during the war, he lived to a softened, benignant old age, a powerful personality even when laid up on the beach, fulfilling more nearly than the man who phrased it, the ideal of a poet who makes his life a poem. Biographical Note Walter Whitman was born on Long Island, New York, May 31, 1819, and died at Camden, New Jersey, March 25, 1892. He had no education beyond the primary schools. He spent his youth reading, observing, loafing. He was for a time a schoolteacher, a compositor, and an editor. He edited the Brooklyn Eagle in 1874 to 1878. The next year he tramped over the country west to the Great Lakes, south to New Orleans, supporting himself by freelance contributions to newspapers. In 1851 to 1852 he owned and edited a newspaper in Brooklyn. He spent some time as carpenter and builder. During the war, he wrote for the newspapers and was volunteer nurse in the hospitals at Washington. He was clerk in several departments of the government at Washington from 1865 to 1874, when he was stricken with partial paralysis. He lived the rest of his life at Camden, New Jersey. His poetry meant a practical as well as an intellectual fight. It involved him in trouble with one chaste official at Washington, on whom he depended for his clerkship but his friends got him a place in another department. In Boston, his publishers, Osgood and Company, were legally compelled to withdraw his book from circulation because he refused to consent to the omission of passages indicated by the district attorney. The meddlers who made complaint were the vicious society for the suppression of vice. The Boston postmaster who excluded the book from the mail was directed from Washington to admit it. The result of official interference was to advertise Whitman's poetry and make official dumb look so foolish as he always believed it to be long before he personally felt its impertinence and the never-ending audacity of elected persons. The last years of his life were peaceful and were made happy by appreciation. His works are Leaves of Grass, 1855, 1856, 1860, 1867, 1871, 1882, 1883. Drum Taps, 1865. Passage to India. 1870, Democratic Vistas, 1871, Memoranda During the War, 1875, Specimen Days, 1882, November Bows, 1888, Goodbye My Fancy, 1891, Autobiographia, etc., 1892. Recent editions of Leaves of Grass include all his poetry, for he added his later verse to it as annexes. The best life of Whitman consists of his own autobiographia, or the story of a life, specimen days, etc., and his conversations with Walt Whitman and Camden, edited by his executor, Horace Traubel. The life by Richard Maurice Buck is authentic. A good study is that by the English writer H. B. Binns. 
stevenson's essay in familiar studies of men and books wavers between hearty praise and a fear that he and whitman will be misunderstood so that its effect is inconclusive the essay by professor george santayana in poetry and religion is a perfect justification of whitman's dislike of aesthetics the essay by anne gilchrist found in her life and writings quoted from above is excellent j a simmons walt whitman a study is sympathetic john burroughs whitman a study is the work of a friend and a wise man william d o'connor's the good gray poet is a fiery piece of eloquence in defence of whitman still good reading but unnecessarily hot to a generation which does not question whitman's greatness swinburne's attack published in the fortnightly review august eighteen hundred and eighty seven should be read by all interested in either whitman or swinburne one of the best books is days with walt whitman by the english poet and philosopher edward carpenter many opinions of whitman are collected in in re walt whitman edited by the literary executors traubel buck and harned end of section fifteen read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama